This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Libby Ward, I'm wearing a ball gown for you. I'm wearing a ball gown for you because I just, I am a huge fucking fan. I've been waiting for this day for months. We were supposed to do this last round, and you've been busy, busy, uh, publishing a book, putting out content that is validating and affirming for women and mothers, speaking, momming, wifing, travel. You've been... I'm so happy you're here with me right now. Thank you so much. And you look so good. <laughs> like that dress is epic. You look amazing. I kind of want to I kind of want to go change, but I, I mean, also listen, just need you to know that I brushed my hair for you and so that you're... is effort. I mean, it's but so much it's actually so dressed. much effort. It's so much effort. Let's be real. Like that it's so much effort to brush the hair. Never brush the hair. It's either dry bar. Do you guys have dry bar in Canada? Uh, yeah, no, yes. So but like, I, it's yes. either I get my hair blown out or right. I'm walking around like, is something wrong with that woman? Yeah, that's literally my life. Like I'm known for my mom bun and yeah. my fantastic hair. Or it's either like, holy cow, like you're always in a messy mom bun and your hair is like nasty, but kind of awesome because it's yeah. big and dirty. Or it's like beautiful waves and curls. There's no in between. There can't so be I, any in yeah. between. We're just no. living, we're living on the edge. We're living on the extremes. We're going yeah. with it. We, we are. It's 2023 and we can do whatever we want with our hair. <laughs> fuck yeah. Whatever. We, we should want. put that on a bumper sticker. It's 2023 and we can do whatever the fuck we want with our hair. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm sure whoever is tuning in knows who you are. I mean, you are the honest mom on Instagram and TikTok. When did you start these accounts that they have been so globally loved and appreciated and shared over and over again? Thank you. I, you're so kind to me. I'm so, you're so kind to me. You know I, what it really is, is I'm grateful for you, Libby. That's the truth. Oh, you say I the things that. that I feel nervous to say, and you say it with fucking humor. You say it with Thank humor. You. Thank you. I actually, fun fact, I don't tell many people this. My first handle was Diary of a Weird Mom. Oh, also true. <laughs> yeah, Diary of a Weird Mom. And then I, it changed to Honest Mom. I started my TikTok in March 2020. Wow. Uh, the week before the world shut down, I was working in a classroom with children with special needs. And they were doing these crazy, weird dances with their hands. And I was like, what are you doing? And they were like, oh, it's a TikTok dance. And I was like, what's TikTok? And they were like, oh, it's this app where you like post dances on the internet. And I was like, that's dangerous. You shouldn't be on the internet doing dances. There's bad people on the internet. Don't I go should do on that. Don't go you on don't the TikTok. Do you don't, don't do on, it. I should do it. Right. Don't go on the TikTok. And so then a week later, I was like, I'm going to download this thing called the TikTok. And then I did. And then I started making videos. So very long story short, uh, in the fall of 2020, there was all these rumors that TikTok was going to get shut down. And I was like, oh, but I found my people. And I don't feel like a horrible person anymore because there's other people just like me. I'm going to make a handle on Instagram just in case TikTok gets shut down. So oh, I did it oh, just yeah. like as a backup. I literally started my Instagram as a backup for my TikTok people. And then Nearly I, a million people later yeah. were like, don't go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. And then people kept being like, that's crazy that you had 10,000 new followers in a month and then 20,000 and then 30,000. I was like, is it? I don't, I don't know. I'm just posting videos of my weird self. And so that's the long story short. Well, and the weird self really is still, it's still present in your delightful dancing. Well, thank you. It's like weird, uh, delightful. You know, you do this one move that's like similar to like, have you seen Frozen? Where they're like, mm-hmm. um, we're synchronized. You know, you do that like synchronized yes. thing that Anna and this Hans one? do. And it, yes. oh, it's so, it's just, it just feels so good to, to watch. And then meanwhile, you're like doing some silly dance and being like, mom rage happens. <laughs> and I'm like, it happens to other people. I fucking love my children. Why does it right. happen? And then you explain it. How do you, how do you, how did you know? How did you, how did you come to knowing what needed to be said and also offering solutions around it? 
Right. So I just thought I was a garbage human for a long time and a garbage mom and thought that I wasn't cut out for it. I went into motherhood being like, I'm going to nail this. I'm going to be so much better than how I was raised. I'm going to do all the things right. And then a few years and a few kids in, I was like, everyone leave me alone. (laughs) Um, In the bathroom crying. And so there was a little while that I thought I was alone until I started talking to like other moms I knew and then once you get to know them and they secretly were like, oh, do you yell at your kids too? And yeah. all of a sudden I was like, why is everyone whispering about this? Like literally everyone I talked to is saying this, but we're all ashamed. That's crazy. And that's dumb. That's so dumb. And toxic. And, then, and toxic. It's not so going to help toxic. us. Actually, it doesn't the more help shame, anybody. And the more shame we feel like, guess who's yelling more now? Because I'm right. mad at myself. And then it just oh, adds anger. The shame cycle. Onto, oh. Tell me about that. Can you tell me what the shame is? Then you're angry about being angry. You're ashamed of being angry. You feel guilty for being angry. It's the biggest thing I work through with my therapist. She's like, so you're not only frustrated or resentful or overwhelmed or overstimulated. You're then mad at yourself or guilty about the fact that you have those feelings. Like you shame yourself for being a literal human being. Yeah, but you and and the rest of us. I mean, God bless your therapist for noticing it. All of us, right? Right. Um, But nobody talks about it. So when I was on TikTok and sharing my life, I was also in university (laughs) during the pandemic with two small children at home and a shift worker. So no wonder I was going insane. Anyway, I was in university in these sociology classes, learning about the mental load and being the default parent and what it means to be the primary parent and the division of labor and how women carry way more things and how it came to be this way. And I was like, oh, oh. Oh, no wonder we're literally all losing our minds because we're carrying more than we should be carrying and more than human beings are capable of doing without losing it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So that just spurred me on to talk about it more. And I'm so grateful that you are. But not to mention that the... Many of us are walking around, I would say most of us, are walking around with generational trauma around like not having our needs met uh, consistently as children. And so we're dealing with that wounding on top of the, the general society. Well, you, you, you always say like, I wish I had known before I was a mother. And there are several things that you go into. And this is the podcast for people to know before they're a mother. So I wanted to give you that opportunity. Like, what are the things the, um, I know one of them was around um, overwhelm and overstimulation. People don't talk about that. I didn't even know about that until I, I found you a year ago. I was like, oh, that's what's happening. I'm overstimulated. Anyway, um, what are the things that you wish you had known before you became a mother? Right. That's like a very loaded question that I have a lot of things to say about. But I would say... I wish that I had known a combination of the internal and the external thing. So internal, meaning I thought that I went into motherhood healed. I was like, I've forgiven. I've moved past. I have a good life. My childhood doesn't affect me anymore. I don't have an anger problem. Like I'm good. And I wish I had have known that having children would bring everything up to the service that I thought I dealt with and not only would plague me, but would trigger me more when my kids did things that like my internal struggles and my past was there. So I wish I had have gone to more therapy before I had kids to like work through my inner stuff and learn how to deal with my emotions, because that's also not what we were taught as children. Even if you don't have big T trauma, or if you don't think of yourself as someone who had trauma, most of us in our age bracket were raised with parents who didn't really have emotional intelligence or maturity or who taught us how to deal with our feelings. So that is something I wish that I knew that I should have learned. Mm. And then the other thing I wish I would have known is all the societal crap, all the stuff that is like not said, not spoken about, not shared about, but assumed that women should be carrying. So even though I had a partner who loved and respected me equally society still treated me like I should still be doing more. And I internalized a lot of things in our household as a woman's job simply because I was the one at home with the baby. And so even though my husband loved and respected me and shared part of the load, it was still mostly on my shoulders. And I didn't realize how heavy that would be 
and that loving my children would not be enough to make me not a basket case. <laughs> loving my yeah. children would not be enough to help me be the mom I wanted to be. I actually needed tools and resources and information. And I actually needed to have specific conversations with my partner about how we were going to share the load and what the load would actually feel like and how we would tackle it as a team so that I could be the mom I wanted to be. I Like society just said, oh, you'll love your children and that'll be enough to make you a great mom. And it's like, what? no, your love's not enough. Well, your love's not enough. Your love is not. not, It's not. I mean, I also think like that's that that was the case for our own caregivers. Like, I I have no doubt that our caregivers loved us. They were they were fed terrible, you know, like terrible um, advice and a world that was too much for them too. But love is not enough. I don't know what is that. Is that like a movie slogan? Like love is enough. Level no love will save the day. No, hard conversations might. Right. I remember telling mothers who, you know, were in an older generation how I was scared of becoming a mom and, you know, would I be able to be selfless and would I be able to put my kids above me and would I be able to be patient? And so, of course, they were encouraging, but they just kept feeding me this, oh, well, you'll figure it out and you'll love them and that'll be enough. And it's like, oh, gosh, like they were so wrong. And but the thing is, they weren't they weren't poorly intended. No. Like that's all they had as well. All they had was you just figure it out. And so now we have all these, this information and different tools and resources that we can read about and learn about and try to fix things. But we're trying to undo generations of damage and generations of a lack of emotional depth or validation or um, like parents being able to apologize to their kids or even be seen as human beings who are imperfect. Like we're undoing so much. So it's not just that motherhood and parenthood is hard. It's that we're having to teach ourselves so many things that were not taught to us at the same time as teaching them to our kids. Well, like in terms of like emotional regulation, let's say. If I get overstimulated and overstimulated is this experience where it's like, it's all too much. If I'm the only person in the room with my children, the old paradigm would be like, it's all too much. You're making me mad. I need to off gas this mad into you. You take it. Right. Right? Uh, And I know better. And I was at my rolfer because my back went out and I was like in pain. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, if we were in that paradigm, I bet I'd feel a little bit better, actually. Like, because I would just be like off gassing my, my, I would be like, you take it, little person who's pissing me off. Little, I mean, I I see why, I see why that uh, cycle continued for so long because it is overwhelming. It is overstimulating. It is rageful. It is annoying. It is. So if I yell or if I, whatever, I could get it out, but it's all in me that needs to be metabolized. That's my responsibility. This is a whole new paradigm where I have to take care of my body, my feelings first, right? Because you can't be to blame for them. Right. My emotional regulation is my responsibility. Yeah. And that is really hard in the moment when your natural instinct, also what happened to you your entire childhood, but your natural instinct is to just offload it onto them. And also... Or anyone, or my husband, or some, or the customer but, service person. Right, right. But it works in the short term. And that's part of the issue and the problem around all these parenting conversations is that people are like, yeah, well, it makes them listen or it makes them stop or it makes them whatever. And it's like, yeah, in the short term, your child might stop doing what they're doing or they might go to the room and sit quietly and shame themselves or they might like it'll stop the stimulation, which is what you need for your, you know, to be more regulated. But in the long term, it not only damages your relationship with them, but it damages their ability to self-regulate. It doesn't teach them how to self-regulate. It doesn't teach them that they're responsible for their own emotions. It teaches them like, this is what you do. If something's overstimulating you, if something's bothering you, you explode on them and that should make it stop. So it's really hard to stop yourself in the moment from going, if I yell or if I do this thing right now, it it will actually calm things down. But yeah. remembering that's not long-term what we want. That's not the good thing, the right thing, the healthy thing. It's so hard. It is so it's- hard. 
It is so hard. You actually offer tools to make that happen, though. First of all, I think something that you do, and it's so interesting, it's like, yes, of course, we should do therapy, and please, and uh, and we need we need parenting coaches, but it really is nice to know that there's like your account online that can really educate and move the needle for mm-hmm. a lot of people. I mean, it really, the, the impact you're making is tremendous because you do offer not only an understanding perspective, you're like, guys, I get it. I, I do it too. And it is hard. And it's my responsibility. What are the, some of the things that you offer yourself and some tools that you share with your community around metabolizing your own frustration, your own rage, your own whatever, in order not to continue that cycle? Right. So there's like the deep work and then there's the surface level practical solutions. And for me, the deep work was I had to finally realize that I was enough and that I was worthy of care and attention and having my needs met. Like I entered motherhood being like, I'm going to do everything for my kids. I'm going to be everything. I'm going to make sure they never have a need and they are, that they're ne- they never go without. And so I poured everything into my kids. And that is, in fact, what made me less of the mom I wanted to be. Because yeah. eventually I poured so much that my window of tolerance was so small that the tiniest of things would send me over the edge. Yeah. So I had to realize that I was just as worthy of having my needs met and being cared for and having fulfillment as my children were. Right. Well, you you were someone's child once. Exactly. You're a human being just like them. Right. And so so I had to change my perspective of give everything to them so that they have everything you didn't and so that they have this great childhood. It was, no, give to yourself what you need, what you haven't been given. Give to yourself what fills you up. And then that gives me more of the capacity to do all the other things. Everything else is just a Band-Aid solution. I could tell you wear noise-canceling headphones like I do while I'm making dinner during witching hour when I want to, like, you know, punch a hole through the wall because I'm overstimulated and my husband comes home and asks me questions. I can tell you to wear noise-canceling headphones. Oh, my God, the questions. Thank you for saying that. I I thought I was crazy. Well, I was like, why are you talking? (laughs) I haven't had enough (laughs) in my ear holes today. Yeah, I just yes. and he'll be like, I wanted to say hi, hi, right. <laughs> right? You're like, I'm in the middle of a thousand things that you can see and can't see right now, and so I can, you know, t- we talk about going to therapy and we can talk about wearing noise canceling headphones or practicing self care, but those are such surface level things where it's like, you can't practice self-care if you don't think you're worth it. If you don't think you're worth the boundaries, if you don't think you're worth saying to your family, I'm going to go take an hour. Nobody talked to me in the bathroom saying to your family once a week, I'm going out in the evening, whether it's to go for a drive and listen to a podcast or to go vent to a friend and eat McDonald's in the parking lot or whatever it is. If you don't think you're worth the energy it takes to take care of yourself, you're not going to do it. So I had to do the deep work of realizing that I was worth it and that the domino effect would hit everyone in my family if I was taken care of. And then I could enact all of the, you know, the little strategies like scheduling their naps so that, you know, you have a break. Make like for me, one of the most basic self-care tasks I had when my kids were tiny was having a bedtime routine and schedule, knowing that after 7.30 or 8 o'clock, it was more than likely that I would get at least two hours to myself. Yeah. And that sounds so ridiculous, but that is self-care is making sure you have that time for yourself. It's wearing the noise canceling headphones. It's making rules. Like I would say to my husband, if we go out, we have a day out and we come home, I need at least a half an hour by myself where nobody talks to me or I will be a beast. Oh my God. And, that sounds so delicious. If that's like a day at the beach, a half hour. No one right. talking to me. Right. <laughs> I mean, I Literally. love talking. That's the other right. thing. Like, I love talking. I just yeah. also sometimes need a half hour at the beach. Also, when the small room. humans talk nonsense and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you've been saying well, things oh, it for takes so much brain. I don't even know what you're asking me. Yes. Like, well, oh, my God. <laughs> my daughter, Paz, she, I love the way she speaks because it's so, like, little baby. You know, like, I don't want it to, like, I don't want it to end too soon because then I'd be, like, you know, in big kid land right. and I'd have to deal with that. And, you know, I love her little baby sound, but also what are you saying? 
Oh my god! Like gosh. I am trying yes. so hard to like my brain is like, oh, make her feel validated, but also say it again. You know, like right. what do you need? Is it that? Uh, right. Is it that? Is it that? Yes. Yeah. My yeah. son, who is six now, um, he has a condition called childhood apraxia of speech, which is a motor speech condition. Long story short, he didn't speak till he was three and a half. Mm. So the communication thing and the not understanding what your kids are saying and not understanding what they want and not understanding like, what are you saying? You're already at your limit and you're like, you're but saying like these what? things and you're getting frustrated that I don't understand you. And I'm getting frustrated that I don't understand you. And I don't want you to feel bad that I don't understand you, but also please just make your needs known so I can meet them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I like want nothing more. I just, yes. I want nothing more yes. until like, I yes. get it to like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Well, universal. It's kind of cool actually thinking about like, here you are in Canada. I'm in, I'm in New York in in the United States and you're this is a universal experience what right. you're describing has how many countries do, do you are you in contact with throughout the day through your your work a lot a lot i mean it's mostly the states in canada and australia but i actually have a large following in germany like wow. Germany, Switzerland, places like that. The UK as well. But I'm always surprised by the number of people that follow me from those places. I've gotten emails from people from India being like, why can't we get your journal here? Why can't we oh. get the Honest Mom journal? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. It didn't occur to me to get it printed in um, India. But guys, <laughs> I got the journal. I, I, if you guys are listening from India, do you still have the download from your... Um, I do. It's on my website. It's on guys, the links. Libby page. is very generous. And She's very free. generous. So can you sh- tell us where okay, tell us where what the journal is. What's the journal? Okay, so the journal is the Honest Mom Journal, the Struggling Mom's Guide to Struggling Less. Because I can't stand these books that are like, I'm gonna fix your life, five steps to being the perfect mom. It's like I just want people to struggle a bit less. Yeah, like go so, yourself. Like, come on. Yes. Yeah. And like, so it's really don't, based- be, don't be my savior, just be my friend. Yes. Yes. Let's just like move the needle a bit each day. And so that really is what the journal is about is like moving the needle a bit each day. It's working on our mindset. It's getting this self-awareness. So there's a morning and nighttime journal. They both take less than five minutes. They're super short because moms don't have time. And so it starts with an affirmation in the morning and then a place to note, specifically note something that's going to make your day easier, something that'll make it harder. And then to prioritize where you're going to spend your time. Is today going to be a present day? Is it going to be a productive day? Is it going to be a peace day? And so then you really like set the tone for the day by intentionally being like, oh yeah, that's right. I only slept an hour and 45 minutes last night. Maybe this to-do list I have is stupid. Or, oh yeah, my husband has the day off work. He's going to be around with the kids. So I can up what I'm going to do today. And then at the end of the day, there's like a five minute journal where you focus on uh, guilt mostly. So it's noting things from your day that number one, you're proud of. So what are you proud of and considering what? So you're proud of not yelling at your kids, considering how overstimulated you are or whatever it is. And then noting something that you feel guilty for and then working through, is that guilt productive or is it stupid guilt? So this is something I talk about all the time where uh, stupid guilt for me is actually just shame for being a human. So if you feel guilty for wanting a nap, that's stupid guilt. If you feel guilty Mm -hmm. for wanting to eat, that's, that's stupid guilt. If you feel guilty for wanting to go to the grocery store alone, that's stupid guilt. Like those are just needs to be alone, to eat and to sleep. If you feel guilty for yelling at your kids and throwing a plate across the room, that's probably uh, productive guilt where um, you can take that and say, okay, I noticed that this happened and it's not in line with my value system. What can I do differently? So you're going to give yourself grace, but then you're going to look for some tools and resources to help you and apologize. And then my favorite part at the end of the day for every day of the journal is to note something that you want to reminisce on. And that it helps me so much to look at a positive at the end of the day. Because the end of the day, when you're laying in bed, like how many moms lay there going, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. I didn't yeah. live up to my own expectations. I didn't whatever. And I did this just last week where I was filling out the journal and I felt like I had an awful day and that I wasn't a good mom, that I wasn't present and that I wasn't any of the things I wanted to be. And it took me an entire five minutes to remember that I took my daughter out to run errands with me and we had a little like breakfast date together and we laughed so much 
And I, I wrote it down, number one, because like, then you can look back and remember all these little things. But number two, I was like, holy cow, if I hadn't have done this, I would have gone to bed thinking that I was a piece of crap. I would have gone to bed thinking about what a bad mom I am. And now I get to think about this thing that I forgot about. So, you know, I, I, it's so interesting because I think those thoughts are like, I'm a piece of crap and I feel guilty probably stemmed from early childhood. Oh, Someone yeah. couldn't meet our needs and they were just like, you know what? Actually, your need for a nap right now is not only impossible, but it's bad because we have to go to dinner right now or whatever. Right. It's like those grooves are so like worn in. And every time right. we set pen to paper and fill out these journal prompts, what we're doing is, you know, creating new neural pathways where we don't have oh, to go to sleep feeling compassion, yes. having compassion so for ourselves. It's growing self-compassion and fighting that guilt and changing our mindsets to I am worth taking care of and I can have a bad day and it doesn't mean I'm a bad mom. I can make a mistake and it doesn't mean that that defines my character, that each day is new and that I deserve self-compassion and I'm a human being. So it's really powerful, actually. There's been yeah. so many studies about what journaling can do. And it seems very much just like, I don't have time for that. Like, it's a whole thing. But when you do it, it does make changing. you better. It yeah, does. there's this, um, there's this uh, artist's way. I don't know if you've ever heard of it by Julia Cameron. And, you know, every artist I know, every actor I know has has um, has done this like 12-week self-study book. And one of the pillars of it is three morning pages like a brain dump in the morning. And it is like, it's really like a detox. It's like going to the bathroom. Right. It's <laughs> it's like right. going to the gym. It's like we wake up with nonsense in there. Like you right. can't really even form a real thought at six o'clock in the morning just going for it. But the, um, like the really good writing that can come out of it after those three pages or three months of really doing that consistently is so profound. And it's an old book. You know, it's like this, this practice has been around for a long time, but it's like meditating. It's like walking. Right. It's like drinking water. It's like right. just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's not, not powerful. powerful. Yeah, it's really powerful. Right. I mean, I think your words are extremely powerful and it makes sense that you would have a teaching background and that you would have taught um, special needs kids because your willingness to teach from a place of honesty and cutting through the bullshit is so um, rare. And it really touched me. You know, when I was feeling like this terrible mom, I wasn't living up to my um, my own standards and I printed this out this summer. It felt so good to know like there was someone on the other end who who actually had broken through the shame barrier to even write it, to to publish it, to send it out, to land in my inbox, you know, that like there actually isn't that much to be ashamed of because breaking cyclical chains of, you know, not self-regulating, let's just say, is trauma and martyrdom trauma. Martyrdom. and martyrdom. Yeah. Can we get into it's martyrdom? martyrdom? It's the martyrdom. It's this whole societal expectation that we should come last and that women are praised for putting themselves at the bottom of the list while also being mocked. Right. Oh. So for me, oh. this is where my, I had this really passionate reel I made one time about like, maybe it's not mom rage. Maybe it's mom's doing everything for everybody and not having her needs met. And on one hand, we have society being like, moms are superheroes. Moms can do everything. Moms carry it so well. You're actively crumbling. You're actively like, I can't handle this. Somebody please, for the love of all things good, help me. And everyone's going, oh, but look how good you're doing. Yay. And then when mom snaps, they go, oh, there's mom again. There's all these jokes in the media and yep. movies and TV shows and social media about naggy women and about moms that lose their crap and about moms, you know, just being on top of everybody all the time. So it's like you're praised and mocked for the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to is, keep us stuck. Oh, yeah. And it's gaslighting. It's like, it's uh. completely like the gaslighting of society of, of mothers who 
you know, we're told like, you're not allowed to be angry. Like that's a ridiculous thing to be upset about. And it's really, it's hard to break out of because even as someone who preaches self-care and like wellness for women and mothers and who talks about us prioritizing ourselves, there are still these huge threads of people in society who say that's selfish. Like, why can't you put your kids first? Why can't you just decide to stop yelling? Why do you need to go on a girls weekend? Why do you need to have a bath by yourself? Why do you need to take a poo by yourself? <laughs> like there's still like, but like, do, so don't many you people who make you feel bad for being a human being? It's like the moment you have a baby, the moment you become a mother, your, your needs should cease to exist. And it's ridiculous. And it's it, ridiculous. like, it just needs to stop. It's so, so, it's so frustrating. So on TikTok and on Instagram, people come at you with those tropes? Oh my goodness. Uh, Oh my goodness. Oh yes. I posted a reel last week that went viral about the things my husband did during the day that I didn't ask him to do while I was out at work, mind you. And I had so many comments and one of them was like, this is what's wrong with the world is all these sissy men doing these things for their wives. And what are you going to do when you need someone to protect you one day? You know, when you have a man who's such a sissy and I'm like, Oh, Oh, it's 2023, sweetheart. It's not 1950, first of all. And why are we praising men like they're unicorns for being parents? And meanwhile, it's a it's a bare minimum for us. Yeah. And and then we internalize that. What I took away from that is that here he is doing all these things in a day, and and I'm grateful for him. But you know, I have people in the comments also being like, I would cry if that ever happened. That's amazing. He's mm. a unicorn. That's so special. That's awesome. And it's this line between being grateful, but also not having to throw him a parade I know. for doing the exact same things that if I did them, people would be like, okay, and and for what? Like, why are you telling me this? Like, of course you're doing but that's not a big deal. Yeah. I mean, so, I have the same experience. You know, Dan, Dan is extremely involved with the kids, and he's way better at laundry than I am. And I just feel like, why do I even have to report that? He loves right. me. He he right. has seen me take on too much and lose my goddamn mind. Like right. he loves me. We love yeah. each other. Like I'm, I feel you. so sad that that he sees yeah. me. I feel yeah. so. I actually feel so sad for those other people who are living um, with someone who can't even recognize that. We live under the same roof. Like we eat. Or that they're an individual human who's deserving of autonomy and fulfillment. Fulfillment. Like that they're not just a mother and a wife, that they are a human being that you chose to marry Mm -hmm. and that you should value their needs. Mm. I think one thing we have to do as women, sorry. No, I want you to do it. Go. One thing we have to do as women is stop blaming other women. That's one of the biggest problems It's well, you shouldn't have married a man like that. Well, you should just divorce him. Well, it's your fault for choosing wrong. And no one's there holding their husbands, their partners accountable. They're blaming women. And it's like the last thing you need when you're overwhelmed and undersupported and disempowered in a partnership where you are completely underwater is to have someone say, well, it's your fault that you were there. The last thing you need is yeah. shame and judgment. Yeah. And as women, we need to get better at, at supporting each other and not just blaming each other. Yeah. Shame and judgment. I mean, I think that's the way we were all raised. Like that's how we knew how to change behaviors. Right. And it's not just self-compassion, it's other compassion. Mm. So the only way that I believe I am able to extend so much compassion to other people, to other women, to other mothers in vastly different circumstances to me is because I first am able to be compassionate with myself. Yeah. How did that happen for you? mm -hmm. Like, I know you said it was a deep dive, but was there a story? Was there a moment? Was like, was there a process? That's a long process. Yeah. There's not one moment. I mean, if I had to name one thing, one person, it would be Brene Brown. You know, reading Brene Brown's books on vulnerability and on belonging and on imperfection really just made me feel seen for the first time in my life. I really felt as though I had to earn my enoughness 
my entire life. And I had to earn being worthy and earn love and earn rest and earn all of it. And it, it was only through doing that I deserved to feel whole or, you know, feel okay. And I grew up in not so common circumstances. And so I entered adulthood feeling like I played pretend everywhere I went and that I was just trying to fit in and belong and be like everybody else so that I didn't stand out. And reading her her books really helped me to realize that I, I just belong because I am mm -hmm. and for who I am and that I don't need to earn anyone's love and I don't need perfection to be enough. And reading her books really started me on this journey of being like, you know what? I, I'm enough. I, I don't actually have to change to be enough. And yeah, sure. I have stuff to work on, but I am not inherently broken. I'm not inherently someone that needs to be fixed. I'm not inherently someone that's different and wrong and not enough. I just am. And I do belong. And that it was her books that really changed that for me. Hmm. Yeah. I love her stuff. I love her work. You do stand out. You are a leader. You're a thought leader for sure. And I think, you know, I've been considering, you know, my own, my own childhood and breaking cycles, not, not being raised in a common you know, circumstance and how, you know, that offered me grit and a, a sort of um, way of seeing the world that other people don't see. And I really see that in you, that like you went through trial and tribulation and you can go into it if you'd like. I know that's how we first connected is through your, the story of your father. But without sugarcoating it, it does take a long time and it does take effort it made you who you are in a way. It right. made you this beautiful teacher, mother, like sort of big sister, thought leader that you are. Um, would you tell us about your dad? Like when you first um, shared that story, I, I DM'd you and I was surprised to hear back, but I was like, this is a movie. This is incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's how we first um, connected. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, first of all, for saying all those kind of things. I still struggle to accept compliments, but I, I will take them and put them in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, this, my dad's story could be, as you said, a book or a movie in and yeah. of itself. My dad, I mean, he was born in the 1950s in a time when there wasn't a lot of resources or help for people. And he was deaf as an infant. He was a twin who was deaf. And for some reason I, that I have yet to understand, his parents never realized that he was deaf. I never met his parents. And so he went most of his life uh, very much struggling as a child, not being understood and being teased and bullied and treated quite terribly. And so he was institutionalized when he was a young teen. I think he was 12 or 13 for four or five years. And so he was in an institution and being treated as if he, there was nothing up there, I guess you could say in not so many words. And then there was uh, a pastor actually that was traveling around to different institutions who had realized that people who were deaf were being misdiagnosed and trying to find these people who actually were deaf and weren't uh, you know, didn't have other conditions. And so he found my dad. And when my dad was 19, they, they finally realized he was deaf. And by then, you know, it was really too late to learn to read and write and even have the language to communicate. Even learning sign language was hard because you don't even have the words. So he then moved on to a school for deaf people and they tried to teach him, you know, basic life skills, you know, reading or writing or sign language. And so when he came out of the deaf school when he was 21, um, his mother had died shortly before that. So while he was away, his mom died. And then he was out to life on, on his own as a deaf and illiterate man. And that, you know, was really the beginning of a very hard life for him. And so he never really fit into the deaf world because he was not fluent in sign language didn't have wow. that language and didn't fit into the hearing world because he could not speak clearly or hear 
uh, well, with hearing aids, you could hear a little bit, but he really didn't have that language to hear. And so, you know, you talk about even writing and handing in things to servers at restaurants. You couldn't even do that. So life is really hard for him and very much in a non-digital age. So trying to get resources and things like that was hard. Long story short, he met my mom, uh, had my brother and I. They separated shortly after that. Uh, and so we sort of had a weekend relationship with my dad for the first 10 years of my childhood. And I would say that 99% of my good memories from childhood were on those weekends, you know, where, you know, he couldn't read or write, but he found a way to always fill our weekends with joy and fun and the pool and the park and just the library, even though we couldn't read. <laughs> and all, and Right. And so, you know, he taught us sign language and did all of those things. And so um, I have a lot of special memories from that, from that time with him um, that I, and I didn't really understand the situation at the time. I've learned all this, you know, since, you know, becoming an adult. Um, and then we didn't see him for um, eight years. My, my mom moved us out of the city and he had no way of contacting us. And so I didn't see my dad for the second half of my childhood. So that was hard for him. Wow. So, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I found him again when I was 18 and I'm now 34. So I spend a lot of my adult life trying to, you know, figure him out and learn how to communicate and have somewhat of a relationship while having small children. And it was really difficult. And so when he passed last year around Christmas time, a lot of, a lot of my grief wasn't just that he died. It was for all that I missed out on with him and my children and also, grief for how hard his life was. And so his story is one of absolute resilience. And I'm so proud to be his daughter and to think of how much he went through and what strength he had. And it, it his life and who he is really helps to give me compassion Yeah, for others. Because it's so easy to not realize what other people are going through. And, you know, that was often the case for him. And so you know, having him in my life very much helped me to have compassion for others. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And the resilience piece really does shine through with you. I mean, you say things like um, you feel like a like a failure of a mom, but did you put food on the table? Like, did the kids get to school? Are they wearing clothes? Like, you were against all odds. I mean, not dissimilar from your father, you against all odds have like created this beautiful family life, this beautiful partnership. Not everyone has, as we discussed, not everyone has this sort of loving, equitable relationship. And you recognize that. And when... You know, growing up in poverty and in a home that was quite volatile and, you know, moving around a lot and having food insecurity made me see as a mom now how valuable providing those basic things for our children are. A home that is safe, yeah. a home that has food on the table, a home where you feel comfortable and loved and able to be yourself where the children aren't having to take care of the adults the children aren't responsible for more than they should be just a basic secure home with food on the table is you know our this is what our, our children need is to feel safe and loved and nurtured not you know it's not you know being put into ice hockey and being on the arena five times a week it's not you know, going on these lavish vacations it's not doing Pinterest activities every single day it's not like there's so much the beauty of social media is that we have information that other people never have. But the problem is there's so much information and so many opportunities to feel like you should be doing more that it makes moms feel like they're not doing enough when they absolutely are doing enough. Yeah. And as a mom who lives a, a middle-class life being surrounded by other new moms, I would hear people say things about how, oh, well, I didn't do this and I didn't do this and all these things and feeling like a horrible mom. And I remember thinking back to my childhood and thought, all I really wanted was to feel safe at home and not wonder when the next time uh, a tragedy was going to happen. And that would have helped my development so much more than 
someone doing a Pinterest craft with me every day. Like you can, I tell people all the time, you can like never do a craft with your kid their entire life and they can turn out absolutely fine. Yeah. And so growing up the way I did also eventually helped me to give myself grace and go, you know what? Like I am providing my kids absolutely what they need, absolutely what they need. And that's something that I should be proud of and having the perspective of how other people live even today, yeah. how they're treating their children today, how they're unable to have the resources to provide for their children today makes me go, you know what? Like I'm, I'm doing great. I put food on the table and yeah, maybe I snapped, but guess what? I apologized tonight. And that's not something that ever happened when I was a kid. So no, I'm, that was not the I'm culture. doing pretty good. You're doing great. Yeah. You're doing so great. I'm wondering, do you enjoy motherhood more these days now yeah. that you're not teaching and you have these tools under your belt and they're older? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. it's so it's so much fun. My kids are six and eight now and my son is becoming hilarious. I don't know where he got that from. I wonder um, where he got his sense of humor. Uh, we sit at the dinner table and he just comes up with these jokes and it's not like me pretending to laugh. It's like this guttural laugh. Yay. And I'm like, I created a human being that makes me laugh. I created a human being, like a little best friend that I just get to do things with all the time. And, you know, I can have these conversations with my daughter and she's got this this Rebel Girls book right now that has all these stories of like amazing women that have done things, you know, throughout history. And she gets so excited to read it. And we read one the other night about a woman who, you know, saved children during the Holocaust. And my daughter was asking me all these questions. And as much as it was a really hard conversation, I like left her bedroom after I said goodnight being like, this is one of the things I love about being a mom is being able to shape my children and teach them compassion and open their world and be excited about what they're going to do in the world because of what I get to pour into them. And so it's really cool being able to like build these relationships with them that like make me laugh and think deeper and, and all that kind of stuff. And also they can just get their own snacks and wipe their own bums and like in the morning. So like sleep and like sleep. It's like all the things like that. The big things and the little things. It's it's quite lovely. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Um, I, I was up all night with my daughter last night and I, I have to say that it's such a bummer. Um, and <laughs> it was such a bummer. And now you're in a dress. And I'm, in, but I'm actually just like, I, I was just so excited to meet you. Um, <laughs> I had to put on my ball gown. Um, hope I didn't make that awkward. Uh, so <laughs> she was just like, like sick all night. And the truth is like, if this were, oh. yeah, it was such a bummer, but if this were a few years ago, I would actually feel pretty like agitated and like I'd be like sort of angry, which is not the feeling you want to feel when someone's like sick right next to you and you have to like, you know, and I was so proud of myself that like, (laughs) that I could be just loving, that I could be accepting. I mean, it's really cool to have grown alongside them. You know, when yeah. it, when my when my son would wake me up, I'd be like in the middle of the night, and I and then I would go and then I wouldn't be able to go to sleep because I would feel so guilty. Like, wait, right. he clearly needed something. Needed wanted to feel safe. He wanted to, you know. Yeah, it's, I have. It's hard in the middle of the night, but to have grown, is. yeah, so good. Last and night, and it's a powerful feeling. Yeah, it's yeah. a powerful feeling. You should be so proud of yourself. Thank you. It's really, it's really, I feel like those moments I know I've grown are when I can almost step outside of my body and say, that's a really hard thing you're dealing with. You're allowed to feel that way about it. As opposed to being in my body saying, you shouldn't feel this way. There's something wrong with you for feeling this way. And, you know, I... I just personally had a rough night of sleep last night and I haven't been feeling physically well. And this morning I got up just feeling heavy and not great. And I know, you know, five years ago, me would have been like, just push through it. Like, just do more. Like, you'll feel better soon. Like, you can't give up. Like, just keep doing more. And this morning I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take it slow. And there's mess around me and I got to do some stuff, you know, some work and I'm going to sit on the couch and do it. And I'm not going to make myself feel bad or tell myself that I'm a slob or I should try harder. I'm just going to do it and say, you know what? 
you're having a hard day and tomorrow's a different day. And it's a, it's so freeing to not have to feel emotions about emotions. Right, <laughs> that's not like compound it. Wanna, right. On, it's one on top of the other. I know. Yeah, yeah. Like we learned that lesson. I feel right. really proud of myself that I learned that's that lesson. Awesome. I have to I say, there's a reason why I'm wearing a ball gown. And it's because, you know, when I found you about a year ago, I felt so seen and, you know, co-regulation is a real thing. So what our children need what, when they come to us in the middle of the night, they need a nervous system that's, that's sleepy so that they could be, feel sleepy, you know? And there was something, and I don't love social media all the time, but there was something transmitted through your work where you were like, we don't have to compound feeling on feeling. You know, you were learning that lesson. You made content around it with your hilarious humor and very cool dance moves and you really moved the needle for me so I wanted to thank you for that oh you're welcome I appreciate that and 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 for my children you know they're children too can you imagine generationally right we're not just breaking we're not just breaking cycles we're starting new cycles which Mm -hmm. is so cool it's so cool. So you should be proud of yourself. And I'm, you. I'm glad that I could play a small part. Well, okay. Libby, can you expand on that then? Will you tell us about um, the new cycles we might be we might be uh, establishing moving forward? What do you think? What's the ideal? What's the hope with this work? The ideal is that when we become mothers we continue to see ourselves as individual humans who are deserving of wholeness and wellness and fulfillment and identity. And by believing that, we can act on that. And when we act on that, we can take care of ourselves and be taken care of. And society can see how important we are and they can put things in place to help us take care of ourselves. And then when we have more capacity, we can be the moms that we really, really want to be. And that we not only have regulation skills, but we teach those regulation skills and we model them. And then we just become the society of humans who understand that we're humans and are all doing our best and we're not deflecting our trauma and we're not blaming our children for our triggers. And then they grow up healthy and then they have less cycles to break. And then hopefully as a society, we just can get rid of this idea that mothers are supposed to be martyrs and that there's something wrong with us for having needs. And we don't have to feel like that's an abnormal thing anymore. We can just look after ourselves and that can become the norm. And our children and all of society will see the benefit of that. That's my hope. A freaking man, sister. So where do we find you if we're not already, you know, enjoying your stuff? Mm, yeah, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Diary of an Honest Mom or on my website, diaryofanhonestmom.com. All the places, all, all the places that, on the internet you can find me. So Don't forget that so journal, guys. Me. Oh, don't the journal. Don't forget yeah. that journal. Amazon. It's called The Good the Mom. Version. Is it it's called, called I changed it. When oh, it was so oh, I got it the original. I don't mean to brag, but I hopped on the train early. <laughs> Um, I got the original download. Tell me, tell me where they can find it on Amazon, right? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. The Honest Mom Journal: Struggling Mom's Guide to Struggling Less. Beautiful. Enjoy it, guys, and thank you so much, Libby, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Mom Curious Podcast. My name is Daniela Ravani. I am your host. And I would love to continue this conversation at Daniela Rabani on Instagram. And if you'd be so kind to rate and review, share this podcast, I would be just really grateful. Catch you next time, every Tuesday on the Mom Curious Podcast, produced by Hoff Studios. You can find them at Hoff Studios on Instagram as well. All right, have a great day.